In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit SIFT.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. Hey everyone, this is Bradley Chlepsky, co-founder and editor-in-chief at MerchantFraudJournal.com. And on this episode of the podcast, we have Ron Hines, CEO of Vesta. Had an absolutely hilarious and entertaining discussion with him. Decades of fraud experience, and he gave us some incredible stories getting woken up in the middle of the night with Russians hacking bank systems, having to pull plugs out of the walls, just crazy, crazy stuff. Some great anecdotes about ants at a picnic and... For you practical people out there, some great advice about how to analyze and learn from fraud events. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Ron. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. And as always, you can get all the latest merchant fraud tips and tricks at merchantfraudjournal.com. And we're live. Ron, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bradley. So I feel I have to give a disclaimer before we start this episode. It's literally been, I think, five months we've been trying to set this up. I'm not even exaggerating. So yeah, just just make sure everyone knows you were the one that canceled every time. That's true. My my daughter, <laughs> my toddler did result in the cancellation last time, but no pressure. Five months, five months in the making. I'm sure it's going to be well worth the wait. So why don't you tell everyone who you are, where you're from, who you represent, and then we'll jump right in. Sure. Ron Hines, uh, CEO at Vesta. Uh, I took over as CEO a couple of years ago uh, and since that time, we've been in the midst of uh, transformation and expansion and uh, really excited about where we are and uh, and where we're going. Amazing. So we're just going to jump right in. I know you have some great <clears throat> stories, so let's hear one. Sure. I, I, I think what's interesting, though, first, if I could, is particularly when you think about payments, right? Uh, when we when we talk about fraud at Vesta, um, it's, it's really, you know, any transaction where the person on the other end of the of that transaction uh, has no intention of paying, right? And and when we think about what we do and what our job is, it's really identifying those those folks that don't intend to pay, and those could be real people or bots or you know any, anything in between. Uh, but also, and probably more important, facilitating success for those that do. Um, and um, uh, it's not an easy job. Uh, it's a job that uh, a lot of companies, a lot of merchants think they can do uh, on their own. But at the end of the day, fraud and fraud rings are a full time job. You know, they've got hundreds and thousands of people that get up every day, punch the clock and go to work to try and steal their steal, steal merchants or and or customers or banks money. And, um, you know, we believe companies like Vesta. Uh, play an important role, you know, and deploy hundreds uh, and some companies, thousands of resources and millions of dollars uh, to make shoppers and merchants life uh, easy and safe uh, and to make fraudsters life hell, quite honestly. Um, <laughs> one of the 
one of the more amazing stories and it it's really it's less payments related it goes back a ways um but really for me helps encapsulate and i think would be interesting for people to hear um just how organized fraud can be um way back in a, in in the dark ages uh bradley while you long before you had children and probably long before you even had a job um <laughs> i still don't have a job <laughs> let's be yeah. honest <laughs> I, I was working in a uh, in a, uh, a startup uh, in the what today what we would call uh, the challenger or neo bank space, and um, you know we had a great payment processing or card issuing platform, uh, and issued cards uh, all over the U.S. Uh, in the hundreds of thousands or millions of cards even at the time, uh, mostly in a payroll capacity, and um, you know we would. Uh, to, folks would deposit money, they'd have a debit card, prepaid debit card, they'd access the money and, you know, be able to bank like you and I take for granted, like most people in America take for granted that they can bank today. For sure. And um, I was, uh, uh, the company was, uh, I live in Connecticut, the company was not in Connecticut, and I was sitting on a, I think a Saturday night in a, uh, at a concert or a, or a show or something in my, in my hometown. And my phone was ringing and it kept ringing and it kept ringing. And finally, I said to my wife, I got to get up. I got to go answer this. And I go out and uh, it's the gentleman that runs uh, uh, all of technology for us. And he says, hey, Rod, do we have any programs in Russia? I said, no, we don't have any programs in (laughs) Russia. That's a great sentence to hear. (laughs) Why why would you ask that? He said, well, we're seeing a lot of activity at ATMs in Russia. I said, said, there's literally no way that this is ending well at that point. I said, go, go, go pull the plug out of the wall right now. He said, oh, I don't know if I can do it. I said, no, seriously, pull the plug out of the wall. So, you know, we had been obviously infiltrated. And so we and it was a single account uh, and it was, you know, proliferating, you know, all over the globe, people were taking money out of an account. And so someone had gone in and uh, taken all the uh, uh, balance limits uh, off that account, uh, velocity checks gone. And so the first, right, everyone's first reaction is, oh, someone in the, someone in the company is doing some bad stuff. And, um, they, you know, they, they found a way in, they got hired there. And, um, you know, we quickly found out that wasn't the case. And uh, the interesting thing and, and the, the organized nature and the depth that these things can, can, can go uh, is illustrated by the fact that I was sitting uh, in, in the office uh, with uh, the gentleman that ran technology at the time. And he said, watch this, Ron. <clears throat> He'd go in and he changed the pin on the card manually, change the pin, you know, in theory, okay, we're good. 10 minutes later, someone's withdrawn, you know, withdrawn money with a new pin. Um, Long story short, we did lose some money. Um, uh, We did shut it down quickly. uh, And it taught us a valuable lesson in, uh, you know, systems and security architecture. And again, this is early 2000s. So this is you know, bleeding edge of, uh, you know, financial inclusion and fintech and all of that. And, uh, but, um, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, and, yeah. and that's one where it was just amazing. And then, you know, even with that, um, fast forward 
seven or eight years and I'm at MasterCard and uh, running prepaid globally. And we had a similar event um, on a MasterCard bank um, uh, issued prepaid cards. And this one is well known. It was Bank Musket. Uh, and it ended up being tens of millions of dollars that were stolen in a matter of a few hours overnight. Uh, and that led to MasterCard building out a what at the time we called a uh, a safe a security blanket across all ATM transactions globally, where we would look at things and find, you know, quickly uh, issues like that. Never been repeated, um, but there were you know thousands of individuals at ATMs around the world just draining the ATMs of cash uh, off this one single account um, because they had gone in and basically made it a, made it a no limit uh credit card uh with with no velocity checks and and, and no systems uh so no take there are a couple of angles i want to talk about on this this is really fascinating to me this whole security architecture that's definitely one thing i want to talk about i'm also curious to hear about prepaid versus maybe other types of cards and and what the difference is there but let's start with the security architecture i i want i obviously we only have uh, 40 minutes or so, but take me through just in 60 seconds what the problem was and how it was addressed in the future and what you learned from that at, at the architecture level. Yeah, so I, I think um, I, I'm not the I'm not the tech guy, but I'll give you the I'll give you that at the time. I think I was, I don't know, chief strategy or something um, officer. And, um, um, you know, first and foremost is, you know, Again, it goes back to how I opened the conversation. Um, you know, fraudsters are working full time. They, they they come to work every. You know, they, their wife packs, their wife or their husband packs their lunch pail. They go to work. They sit down at a desk like you and me, and they just spend all their day trying to find holes. Um, and they they poke, they poke, they poke, and they find their way in. Um, uh, I'm not going to get into how these guys ended up getting in, but they did get in through a uh, a lapse in uh, our protocols, um, which we were able to quickly, you know, close and adjust and move on. Um, and I think it's it's a kind of thing where, um, I'll give you an analogy that I like to use uh, sure. about ants at a picnic. Um, you know, uh, you got, you, you're gonna have your second child soon and, you know, hopefully a few months after that, you and your wife and, and uh, your two children will, will head out for a picnic and you'll find a nice place and you, you'll, you'll lay everything out. It's beautiful. And, you know, all of a sudden there's an ant and then there's two and then there's 10 and then there's 100. Right. And um, uh, you eat, you eat quickly, you get done, you pack everything up and you close, you close up shop and you go away and all of a sudden the ants go away. And then the next team comes and the next family comes and they sit down and they go through the same thing. Um, fraudsters are a lot like that. Right. They 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 they're out. They send the ants out. They're looking, they're looking, they're looking. They find a hole. And now all of a sudden, all the ants get the signal and they all come. And so it's not just about closing down a, a hole, a breach, an opportunity um, and forgetting about it. Right. This this is why I, I believe and we're not a uh, a. Uh, a security, you know, a network security solution, but you know, it's why companies in this space like Vesta uh, are so critical for 
in this case, in our case, merchants, because, you know, you stop at one time, you haven't stopped, you know, the next one. Uh, and with our uh, uh, data science and machine learning and the algorithms uh, and a little bit of AI, uh, you know, getting heading more and more that way down the road. Um, but um, uh, we are constantly updating. We're constantly addressing attacks. We're allowing ourselves to uh, ingest a certain amount of fraud so that we can continue to learn. Right. It's not about we talk about driving the true cost of fraud to zero. Um, and, you know, that's you know, that's a goal. And, and that's that's not just about that's not about eliminating fraud altogether. It's also about ensuring that good transactions get done. Um, but we'll never eliminate fraud because if we do, we're not going to be ready for the next, you know, for the next wave. Right. Of course. I think that's a really interesting point. And I did like a lot actually what you said at the top of the episode here which is that the fraud is not just about stopping the people that are trying to steal from you but it's also about allowing the people that are legitimate customers to get through and i i think that's something that we come back to time and time and again this interplay between chargeback fraud prevention versus making sure that you are minimizing your your friction for customers because certainly in today's online environment, your brand and your customer experience is one of your top selling points because most people are selling the same widget. So unless you want to get into a price war that spirals down to the lowest common denominator, you're going to be able to differentiate yourself based on how you're treating your your customers. And so I think that's a great point that you're making. And I'm I'm curious how you think internally as a team about these problems when you see yep. that there's a breach and then you sit down, you have your meeting and you say, all right, what happened? Once you put the fire out and everybody can take a second and breathe, what do those meetings look like for you? What are you trying to discover? Take me through the process maybe of how to actually retro one of these things so that you yeah. can get those types of insights for the future and prevention. Yeah. First off, I, I just share with you, you know, generally our customers uh, tell us that, you know, there, there's two aspects to what we do, which which actually build upon what you know what you were just uh, talking about, um, and you know, first and foremost is peace of mind, right? Um, whether it's Vesta or a company like us, um, we provide peace of mind knowing that you know almost think about it like uh, an insurance policy. You know, uh, I pay a little bit, I cap my my risk, right? And anything above that's not my problem, right? Someone else owns it, right? We do, right? We we shift the the liability of fraud from the merchant to us right we we told you that transaction was good for you it's good but the second piece and and you, the most important piece that our customers talk about and i think a lot of times even in a in when we're working to you know win a new customer or, or develop a new partnership um, you know, the sexy part of what we do is the fraud, right? It's, you know, everyone can picture the, uh, you know, the guy in a hoodie in a, in a dark room somewhere banging away on a keyboard with stolen credit cards. And, and right. you know, we're that, you know, we're that blanket. Everyone can wrap themselves up in, 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 and feel good. And it's, it's, it's what scares people the most. But what most of our customers, six, eight, 12 months in, um, are more impressed with is the revenue uplift that they've seen for really no incremental cost. 
just by facilitating and ensuring that transaction people that transactions that had good customers on the end of them that fully intended to pay are able to pay uh, and, and are able to complete that transaction. And, you know, it depends on the customer, but we, you know, we work not only in the U.S., we have a big piece of business in Latin America, we've, we've opened up in Southeast Asia. And when you go into some of those markets, it's not uncommon to have a customer who uh, starts out at 60% approval rates. Um, and wow. taking someone from 60% approval rates to 75 or 80% approval rates, yeah, it's a, it's that's a game 25 it's or 30% revenue lift for, for, again, no real incremental cost. And that's and, just on what you're actually accepting. That's not even when they come back as a repeat no, customer because you didn't send them away the first a, yeah. time. Yeah, and now they have there's more money to invest back into things like marketing to drive more people. And that's what I think that's what a lot of folks forget is, you know, businesses large and small spend an outsized, you know, portion of their operating budgets uh, trying to convince people like you and me uh, that they have something worthwhile. They get us there, and then when we want to make a payment, they they they. They, they, they shoo us away, right? Um, and, you know, when we, when we help facilitate uh, the throughput of more good transactions, it's not just about the revenue uplift. Now there's that much more money to invest back into bringing more customers to that website uh, and selling more. Um, For sure. And so when we have an event, um, and I, I, listen, I, I, we have events every day. We have fraud every day. We have... And, and uh, we're constantly uh, working uh, to update our algorithms so that the models uh, reflect new patterns and uh, different things like that. Um, we have a team of folks uh, that we call analysts that, that pull out transactions, review them, uh, learn quickly so that we can feed that back in and update the models. On a rare, it's a rare occasion where we have the type of event where we all got to sit around a room and say, what the heck happened? And how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? Uh, the bigger conversations <laughs> that we have on, on that are actually, why aren't approval rates heading, heading you know, the way we want them to at customer X or that we committed to? And in, in most cases, we will not only commit to you know, a guarantee on the payment side, but we'll commit to a, 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 an increase in approval rates over time as well for those customers. So I think um, that's that's also interesting and kind of the, the actionable points maybe that I want to get to are more, how are you thinking about these things for a merchant that's sitting, listening to this and struggling with approval rates or with chargebacks, with balancing them? What advice would you have for them for just how to approach the problem, because I think for a lot of people, it's overwhelming to even just think about, I don't even know yeah. what the framework is here that I'm supposed to be working in, forget how to solve something out of that framework. Yeah, no, that's great. I think that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And, you know, what we do spend a lot of time talking about is balancing, you know, again, that's why I told you, it's not about zero fraud. It's about finding the intersection of fraud and approvals where we're maximizing, not revenue in this case, we're maximizing operating profit um, by incurring you know, more fraud so that we can 
uh, approve more transactions. Uh, and I think that's what, um, you know, where particularly merchants who are trying to do this on their own get sideways is they spend more time worried about Armageddon than they do, you know, trying to balance an acceptable level of fraud uh, in order to have the best customer experience for their customers um, in whether you, you want to use the word frictionless or facilitating the right. successful, you know, culmination of a transaction. And, and, and my advice is, you know, work, work with a company like us, uh, hi, hire a company like us to do it for you because we do it, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. Um, and, you know, we're good at what we do and we stand behind it. Um, so you this, know, is a, uh, this is a point that we've made a, a, a lot and I'm happy to make it again, which is that I don't know, maybe you have some insights on this, if it's more fear or at this point more ignorance, but I would feel like I'm failing at my role in the community if it's still ignorance, that the the name of the game is to make the most amount of money. And that doesn't always mean preventing the most amount of fraud. And sometimes right. that gets lost on merchants because it is painful, as we've said many times on this podcast. It is painful. It, it feels like theft when this happens. And obviously, you're if it the problem gets bad enough, you can lose your processing privileges entirely and there well, are other cascading say. effects but at the end of the day you're trying to make the most amount of money you can and if you're sending away good people and burning your marketing budget which is an excellent point that you alluded to that we don't talk about enough that that in the long term is going to actually be less revenue than taking a few chargebacks yeah yeah i think that your point around you know the the kind of unnatural pressure that the networks put on on merchants from a chargeback, you know, perspective uh, creates, um, you know, a kind of a third dynamic for them that they have to balance. And, you know, don't I, I don't think there's a merchant out there that doesn't understand the the risk reward dynamic of, listen, the more I approve, the higher my revenue, there is an acceptable level of fraud. But if if I'm approving 65% of the transactions and I'm incurring one and a half percent fraud, it's not just about approving more transactions. You got to be approving the right ones, um, and and that's where I, I think uh, many merchants fall down is they just don't have the the skill set um, or resources uh, to be able to look and make a decision you know, based on a multitude of factors and including, you know, the consortium network effect of all the transactions that we, you know, we look at uh, every, every day, every week, every year. Uh, and um, it, it's, it creates a really an insurmountable challenge, right? It would be one thing if you had someone who was approving you know, 65 or 75 percent of all transactions and they had, you know, five basis points of fraud. Right. Then then I would agree with you. Then, you know what? Why aren't you just improving more transactions? Right. But when the, when it when it's when it's flipped and, and you know, you're getting those results and you're still incurring a, a 
what by industry standards is a, a very high level of fraud uh, and chargebacks, um, that's, that's a tough math equation to try and justify doing any better. Um, and again, that's where you know a company like Vesta and, and others out there um, you know, adds a, a tremendous amount of value. Yep, for sure. All right. Uh, I do want to touch real quick on if there's a difference between the prepaid cards and kind of your more traditional cards. I, I don't know. That's actually an honest question. I've never really heard someone make the clear distinction the way that I, I felt like you were when you were talking. Do you see that those types of prepaid cards are in general more risky for people? And if No, so, not at all. No, okay. I, I was just giving you because I spent... Okay. 15 okay, or 20 great. years of my life. I mean, a prepaid card is really a debit card. Uh, there's little to, there's there's no difference from a card perspective. How the money is kept on the back, in the background is is really the fundamental difference um, that creates some efficiencies uh, for, um, you know, for the for the platforms like, like a Chime or someone like that uh, today. Um, uh, but no, there's no fundamental difference uh, uh, you know, higher level of risk or, or anything like that. Cool. I think that was a general belief 20 years ago. Um, but it's, it's not true. Okay. So next story. Oh, next story. God. Um, let me think of one here. Um, you're putting the pressure on me. Um, um, well, I, I, I guess what, I, what I'll, I'll share with you is, uh, so we have a deep history in telco. Um, and in fact, Vesta started out as a, yeah, more or less a distributor of prepaid phone minutes uh, and then built a great uh, clearing, clearing, almost a clearinghouse engine is the way I would think of it. Um, and, uh, and then built a, a payments platform uh, to service uh, at the time, they're, you know, some of their largest customers who continue to be our customers today, companies like AT&T and T-Mobile in the U.S., Telcel uh, down in Mexico, uh, British Telecom and Vodafone in Europe. And, um, um, you know, that is where Vesta uh, began um, uh, really building a machine learning capability and data science capability uh, around fraud. And most people, um, you know, kind of scratch their head and say, well, what kind of fraud is there in telco? I mean, I, that doesn't even doesn't sound very risky to me. Um, right. And again, I, you know, going back to my earlier comment about, you know, uh, in order to have fraud, you got to have uh, someone who's initiating a transaction that doesn't intend to pay it, uh, pay for it. The other piece is uh, that person needs to be buying something that someone else finds of value. And there has to be a secondary market. Um, and this is what got me excited when I first started spending some time and working with uh, the Vesta management team and the Vesta board uh, before I actually uh, joined as CEO. Um, and if, if someone is able to, let's use Telcel as an example, uh, go onto the, uh, Telcel platform and, uh, purchase or top up, um, 
prepaid phone minutes. So again, mm-hmm. not a prepaid card as we were discussing before, but prepaid phone minutes. Where yeah, I'm, I'm old enough to remember doing that when I was in yeah, Europe well, that and was, you had the those indestructible Nokia phones that will be here with yep. the cockroaches at the end yep. of days. I had yep. one of those things and definitely know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So in 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 most of the world, prepaid phone minutes are still, you know, the majority of, uh, you know, how people get access to cellular and today even to data plans and things like that. Um, but if, if someone, if, if a fraudster is able to go on and, and, and top up and, or purchase, um, you know, it, uh, use Telcel again as the example, you know, the reality is they're on the street, those, the, that, those 30, 40, 100 minutes are on the street and available for sale in the black market uh, at 80, 85 cents on the dollar uh, in a matter of minutes. Um, and, you know, the fraudster makes a ton of money. Uh, the person buying it gets a great deal. They've got access to access to phone minutes at, uh, you know, a 20 or 25 percent discount. Uh, the only people that really lose in this case are their Telso. And um, I was blown away at the impact that uh, Vesta had had uh, over the course of uh, four or five years in the case of uh, Telcel um, in doing just what we talked about, in taking the approval rates from, I won't give numbers, but from a, you know, a modestly low uh, number with high fraud to um, you know, world-class approval rates uh, and managing fraud, you know, down to a a, a very very respectable level. So take um, me through that process. I'm really curious because this is the type of thing where it's a it's a, a good or a service, I guess, that is being used by a lot of different people. It's really hard, I would think, to come up with a really on point model for this because it's such a wide number of people purchasing it. It's such a wide number of use cases, amounts, where they're coming from. When you're sitting down with a with a company and they have this type of really low approval, high fraud environment, and you're starting with someone new. So let's let's take it out of the context we had before if it's an event in a, an ongoing thing, but somebody comes yep. to you and they're new and they say, I have this incredibly difficult fraud problem to solve. Where are you guys starting? Are you starting with humans that are looking at this? Are you letting the machines at it first and then letting the humans in after to look at the edge cases? What is the process that you go through? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything, to be honest with you, Bradley. And um, uh, But first and foremost, we start with the algorithms uh, and the models and the machines. Um, and, uh, you know, we... And let's use let's use uh, telco and prepaid phone minutes as an example. And, and and I think it's important in that context to think about, you know, Vesta built its legacy in what we call digital goods. So nothing physical. So as soon as we say those minutes are good, that transaction is good and those minutes are good. We do the same with Western Union and a few channels for them. Uh, as soon as we say that money transfer is good, you know, there's there's a human on the other end waiting for that money. And if it's, if it's real or if it's not real, they're going to get that money and that money's gone. You know, uh, in this industry, there's a, uh, um, 
in physical goods, there's an ability to pend a decision. I can approve it on the on the front end. You you're you're sitting there buying, and in your in on your screen it's approved. It's pended in the background. Someone mm-hmm. looks at it, looks at you know a bunch of different factors, and and says, you know what? Let me send a note off to that customer and tell them, yeah, don't send don't don't send the sneakers or the TV or whatever it is. Um, so we have, um, and we've been working with AT&T for 20 years. So we have 20 years worth of history of changing fraud trends. And, and uh, you know, we are about to launch a, a, a new telco customer in Southeast Asia. And we're very excited. I can't tell you who it is because we haven't announced it yet. Um, and, you know, how we're building, you know, uh, we don't build bespoke models. We we take the models we have, we layer them in for this new customer. Uh, the transactions run through humans, then you know sample transactions and ensure that we're uh, doing what we should. There's a lot that goes into. We have you know two different ways. We have behavioral data that we collect while someone is on a site, and then we have uh, payment data which comes through in the transaction, uh, and that coupled with our network or consortium of data from, again, 20 years, not relevant, but for the last few years, um, you know, hundreds of millions of transactions, billions and billions of dollars. Um, uh, We continue to adapt and adjust. Uh, We know there's a learning curve. Um, You know, we're we're going to, uh, in all likelihood, incur more fraud early on. Uh, even at lower approvals, mm-hmm. uh, but we will incur that fraud at the expense of approvals uh, so that we can continue to train the models or the models can continue to train themselves uh, and, you know, over time approach, again, that intersection of where is the maximi- where is the maximum approval fraud uh, to ensure that our customer is getting the best experience, our, our customer being the merchant in this case, or the telco in this case, is getting the best experience possible. Uh, and that, you know, for our shareholders, we're, we're maximizing uh, the return of the, of the of our dollars as well. Right. So I want to throw a little bit of a curveball question at you, which I usually I usually like to do. I'm curious, given how much the industry has moved towards machine learning and, and algorithmic technology and a lot of data and science geek scientists kind of stuff. What do you feel is the value of experience on the human side? If any, not just okay. the, not just the, that the, the, the models are running longer, they have more data, but from your end as someone who's been in the industry, for, for so many years. I'm curious to hear what you think you do differently and what you, you've you learned that is still relevant. And I, I don't, again, that's a curveball question. We're very in favor of human fraud analysts. So I don't want you to think that uh, it's a negative question. I'm just curious to hear from your own mouth how you think that that's helping you on a day-to-day basis and the people that you're working with. Yeah, it, 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 uh, I, I think there's a couple of things. It, it allows us to quickly... Um, you know, pull things out and look and ensure uh, our goal, again, is not to be, you know, uh, uh, 100% non-human. Um, you know, we, we at the end of the day, um, 
the the machine is as good as the people that uh, you know build it and continue to make it work. Um, it does I like I like it does train itself, um, but um, you know left to its own devices, uh, I'm confident uh, that it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be as good as it as it is uh, with. And again, I don't want to. I don't want you to think of it as human intervention. It's 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 human interaction and human learning coupled with machine learning, right. um, that that really uh, I think uh, makes us and I think most of our competition the same way. Uh, it, it makes us as good as we can be for ourselves and for our for our customers. Yeah, we tend to, we tend. I mean, now we tend. We do. We feel the same way that the the human interaction part is really important, and we're constantly encouraging merchants to make sure that they pay attention to that because I do think that it's easy for people to get caught up. It's not even hype. I don't want to call it hype because the machine learning is amazing and it's real science and it's great at what it does. But to think that it's a panacea that is just going to cure everything and you could just turn this thing on and just let it go and that's it. And you don't need to have people behind it. Sometimes I think we've gone too far in the general marketing climate of the industry that merchants feel that it's just all this box of algorithms somewhere yeah. and there's no humans and and that's not yeah. the case at, at no, all. no not at all not at all and i told you i'm not a, I, i'm not a techie guy uh i i i'm a general manager uh you know i i didn't start out you know, building anything. <laughs> um, I, I just, I just know how to hire good people to do good things. Um, and uh, so I, I'm all about to have. <laughs> Yeah. I'm all, I'm all about people. And, and um, um, you know, we have a great team uh, that, you know, goes at it every day. Awesome. So I want to ask you before we wrap it up here, I'm curious with all the experience that you have across all these these different years and industries and geographic locations, what you think should be the future of the industry and where it's going? Because which industry of the fraud prevention ecosystem okay. and industry generally? Because in the last, we'll say five years, six years, whatever, ten years, there's this huge chargeback focus. And now we're starting to see a lot of new payment methods come out and a lot of new things come to the fore, cryptocurrency being one, but there are others. And I'm curious for someone who's been able to watch transitions, because not everybody Mm -hmm. that we have on this podcast is really able to speak from so much experience and and watching things. Not everyone's as old as me. Is that what Not everyone (laughs) is as knowledgeable as you, Ron. Not everyone is as knowledgeable as you. Yeah. And so I'm curious to hear from from you who's who's seen this before where where you think we're going and what you yeah. think about all this kind of new emphasis on crypto money and less chargeback focus and online selling now and where that's going with AR possibly which could open up an entire new Pandora's box of fraud once we yep. get the Google glasses or Apple glasses which we're waiting for I'm waiting for my Apple glasses you see I got the the AirPods in I'm I'm waiting yeah. for those glasses um what what do you think where are we going yeah. from here yeah listen um, uh, I'll go back to how I started this um, yeah, a little bit, maybe not all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, but, um, you know, fraudsters get up every day and go to work, right? And so re- regardless of where 
payments move. Crypto, there's a lot of talk today around real-time payments, you know, bank-to-bank payments, and yep. um, uh, that fraud is not going away. Uh, uh, they all have just just like every, you know, just like the you know, they all have, you know, husbands and wives and and kids and families that you know like to eat every now and then, and you know, they go to work every day figuring out how to make more money, and and so, you know, I'm I'm I'm. A hundred percent confident that you know that we're not going to eliminate fraud from the face of the earth. That's not going to happen. Even that's that's our mission: a world without e-commerce fraud. That's what we would. Uh, that's what we get up and get excited about every day. Um, not that we believe we can eliminate it, but we believe we can create a world where it's uh, at least less damaging. Um, you know, at some point, uh, going to your comment around. Google Glasses, which, by the way, when I was at MasterCard, we had a, a pilot set of Google or a bunch of pilot sets of Google Glasses, and it's got to be going back almost eight or nine years. So that tells you how fast things are, are not yeah. moving in some yeah. cases. No, well, that's true, too. Um, but and um, but uh, at, at some point, right, there'll be an ability to authenticate uh, that is less invasive, right? Today, there are ways to authenticate that are you know, create more friction than merchants like and are more invasive than, uh, you know, consumers would like uh, to some extent. And, um, you know, when when there's an ability to authenticate, you've eliminated the risk of fraud. Right. right. And let, the, me give you, and let me give you the other side of that, which is that once the authentication is someone's body, somebody somewhere figures out how to manipulate that then you're Absolutely. really in trouble. And that's kind yeah, of what I'm getting yeah. at. If somebody does like a James Bond, uh, I can duplicate your retina somehow without you knowing. Yeah. I mean, the possibilities for, for theft in terms of volume and speed are infinite almost, it seems yeah. like at that point. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. And, and, and that's why I say it's, you know, even when you can get there and you have this authenticate, I'm not you know, worried about that I'm running a race that, you know, we're going to come to the end to and, and, you know, uh, companies like Vesta don't have a role. They're, fraud will continue, payments fraud will, as long as billions and trillions of dollars continue to move, you know, between buyers and sellers, there's going to be, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that get up and go to work every day, you know, trying to get a piece of it, you know, illegally. Uh, and, you know, that's, a, a keeping that ecosystem safe and keeping it efficient is a job we take seriously. And, and we, and again, I, not just us, I would say, you know, folks in this space uh, will continue to evolve and adapt uh, to ensure that, um, uh, you know, we continue to provide a valuable service to today merchants, you know, mostly that we focus on. Uh, there's an equal opportunity on the on the issuer side uh, as well that, um, you know, maybe next time we talk, we can chat about that. Yeah, for sure. I would I would love to. I'm fascinated by this whole futuristic. I, I feel like we hit an inflection point when I was probably around 15, 16. I'm of that generation. I was born in 84. So I didn't yeah. have a Facebook account until college. I did have access to a PC because my mother is an OG programmer. So I, I had a PC from a young age, but a lot of people in yeah. my generation did not. So I've yeah. kind of watched the technology. I'm comfortable with it, but I also don't have to have it. I, I knew what the world was like before it was there. 
So it's very interesting to me. I I kind of feel my generation maybe is uniquely placed to understand just how quickly things can change because it yeah. it happened right when I was 17 or 18. And yeah. now I think about how different the world was when I was growing up versus what it is now and the things that you can do now that were just unthinkable even when I, when I was a kid, even just you know 20 years ago. Um, well, if it, so if it makes I'm, you feel any better, when I was a kid, we had to get up from the couch to change the channel. So. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, and so I'm. <laughs> I think I. I think there's not enough being spoken about right now because there's not an immediate, immediate need. But I think about sometimes when my kids are wearing glasses that are interfacing. What's going to happen if somebody hijacks the glasses and while they're driving and says, well, "If you want to be able to see." Someone better send me whatever in the next five seconds or you're going to die because they know that you can just say, pay this account and the money will go, right? Like you come up with all these permutations and possibilities. And I, I think I'm my generation is more like open to thinking about those things. I think a lot of other people kind of be like, well, I think the generation behind me would be like, ah, we'll figure it out, whatever. And the generation above me would be like, ah, that's not going to happen or that's crazy. Whereas my generation goes, no, 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 we saw this whole thing can just change on a dime. And yeah. if I can think it up, then maybe it'll happen. And so yeah, it's an interesting sure. topic to me. Um, for sure. So. And I, I think, um, you know, along those lines, it wasn't that long ago uh, when, uh, you know, MasterCard and Visa were going to be irrelevant because uh, first the telcos were going to take over all the payments rails uh, using the wallets on the phones and then Facebook and Apple and Google and Everyone and, and others were going to do that. And, um, you know, and then consumers resisted wallets because they were afraid. Well, what if someone gets my phone now they can go and they can spend my money. And and, um, you know, there's a number of things that came out of that. One is, you know, everyone learned that running a payments network is not easy. It, you know, MasterCard and Visa, they make it look really easy. It's not easy, right, but it's not easy. No. And they're really good. Yeah. And they're really good at what they do. And um uh, and secondly, you know, consumers started to understand that, um, you know, the risk, the form factor of how a payment gets done uh, doesn't really change the consumer risk profile, especially if you're using the networks. Right. The networks have done a great job of protecting consumers uh, in a way to encourage consumers to feel comfortable taking a card out and swiping it. And listen, I can go back to a day where uh, when uh, I first had a debit card and I would go to the grocery store uh, and I would refuse to pay with a debit card, which is just like paying, is the same thing as paying with cash. Um, but because I didn't want the cashier to think I was using a credit card and that I couldn't afford my groceries. Uh, <laughs> that's a stigma that you got to overcome, right? And it takes time. But and I think that's what you'll see is um, I get that the you know there there may be some magnitude of risk that comes in with with uh, uh, the evolution of technology. There's also a magnitude of uh, safety and security that will come with it. Well, I'm sure Elon is on the case. So yeah, that's my yeah. goal on this podcast yeah. is to get he's Elon on the case on the if podcast. he's not on the moon. <laughs> yeah, well, on Mars, I know he's yeah. we're. Uh, Elon, if you're out there listening, if you want to come talk about uh, Tesla security and, and how you're going to protect the Internet of Things, please. Yeah, we're, we're all yours. We're here. I'm here for you anytime, Elon, day or night. 
So Bradley, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, Ron, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Tell everyone where they can find you on the web and then we'll sign off. Uh, www.vesta.io. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Ron. Hopefully we could do this again sometime. Thanks, Bradley. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.